You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. All the girls are complicated. Everyone is precious too, and you might get lucky if you do. Oh, you might get lucky if you do. Find the one that makes you laugh. Find the one that takes your breath where you won't get everything that you want. Oh, but you'll need one to don't Hello, and welcome to the Christian Feminist Podcast, episode number 115 on the Netflix series High Seas, or in Spanish, Altamar. I'm Katie Grubbs, and with me tonight are Christina Bieber-Lake and Michael Farmer. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Great. How are you? Busy, but good. How about you, Michael? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. There's so Absolutely. rarely a man on this show. I feel like I'm trespassing. <laughs> no, I love it. Well, and we had to have you it's here great. because you're the person who first told me that I should watch this series. So it was it, I, it was a necessity for yeah, me. Yeah, when, when, right. when I started watching this show, I said, this is something that Katie Grubbs would love. And you were 100% right. Um, and so that's one of the reasons I wanted to, t- to podcast about it. Um, before we get into why we were going to talk about this show, we're going to do some quick introductions for any listeners who don't already know us. Christina, why don't you go first? Sure. I'm Christina Bieberlake. I teach English at Wheaton College, and I live in Illinois, where the weather is really bad. <laughs> oh, I bet. Oh, man. I I have gotten soft since we've been living here in Houston. Texas. I, I know pretty bad stuff in Kansas, but um, I feel for you guys this you time. Know, you know, I was shocked how fast it changed for me. We lived in Minnesota for eight years, and two months after being a Georgian, I could no longer tolerate forty-five degree weather. It's pathetic. <laughs> Michael, that makes me feel better, honestly, because I thought I was just like, what is wrong? Well, the other thing is, it's it's there's so, the humidity is so high here, and I'm sure that's true in Georgia too, that it feels colder. Like 45 mm-hmm. feels colder than it did in Kansas. Is that true? Humidity, yes. Because huh. it's really cold. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah, never thought about that. Makes it worse. People thought it was Wet cold. Kansas, but it's not. Um, Michael, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah. So I am the co-host slash founder of the Christian Humanist Podcast. And thus, uh, I suppose, if, I guess I'm, in some sense, I'm your boss. Uh, so you better watch what you say. Uh-oh. Uh, and I, I used to work in academia, but na- but now I do some things that don't have anything to do with academia and thus don't bear mentioning here on this show. Yeah. Um, I, I'm married to Victoria Reynolds Farmer, who is uh, the, the captain of this particular uh, particular vessel, even if she's off duty right now. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm trying to stick with the nautical metaphors, and I'm running out of them. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we, but we live it. outside Good of Atlanta. Effort. And you can probably hear my cat, Dottie, uh, trying to talk to us. So, Listeners to the Christian Humanist podcast <laughs> are, are familiar with her voice, I'm sure, because I can't figure out a way to get her to shut up while I'm talking. Yes. That is totally fine. Um, I'm, uh, I'm Katie Grubbs, and I am uh, adjunct professor of English at Houston Baptist University in uh, Houston, Texas. And I am married to David Grubbs of the Christian Humanist podcast. And uh, I teach online classes and also spend uh, most of my time handling our four children. Um, And uh, I'm really excited about this episode for a couple of reasons. But one is that this is, I think, the third or fourth time that Michael, Christina, and I have done an episode together. I love it. Um, It's always super great. I love it, too. I know, right? It's super fun. Um, I think the others uh, have been crossover episodes, um, not CF, if I remember right. They have, yeah. Um, It's all, all all the Halloween episodes. I know. I, I love it. And this is this still feels similar to me, too, because this show has its, I guess, moments where it's trying to be spooky. Um, and uh, listeners, the reason that I wanted to talk about this topic is there's there's kind of a short answer and a longer answer. But the short answer, the, the most um, fundamental reason is because I think it presents some really interesting and complicated relationships between women, which is why I felt like it was such a good fit for the Christian feminist podcast. And uh, the longer answer is that also it's just, it's crazy um, plot wise and which makes it insanely watchable. There's a twist, two or three twists per episode. Yeah. 
right? There's not just a cliffhanger at the end of the episode. <laughs> um, and the crazy thing is the whole series takes place over just a couple of days, but you forget about that because so much happens so fast that it feels like it's just been going on forever. Um, and the, the, the visual design is incredible. We're going to talk about that in a little while. And um, the reason it's great that we're talking about it now is it's pretty timely because we're going to talk about season one in this episode. Season two dropped on Netflix just a few days ago, maybe a week ago. So um, there's now a second season available. So if you haven't watched the show, listeners, binge season one, which is the one we're talking about tonight, and then you'll already have waiting for you season two. Um, where things seem like they're going to get even more crazy from the trailer. I haven't watched it yet. And Katie, I read today that they have already renewed it for a fourth season. I know. When I looked it up on IMDb, it listed four seasons. And for a second, I was really confused and then realized, oh, wait, the next two are purely speculative. Yeah, in the future. So it must be um, a big success in terms of viewership. Yeah, it's hard Uh, to tell because Netflix doesn't release viewer numbers. But yeah, that's true. Um, So to get a little bit of background, um, we're going to go to Christina and she's going to give us a little bit of background just on the production of the show. Yes, um, I did a little research and found an article from Screen Daily that was written in April of, of 2019 where it explained how Reed Hastings, who is the CEO of Netflix, really wants to expand out his operations overseas, but particularly in Europe and particularly in Spain. And he wants, uh, uh, you know, sort of native grown operations in the language of those countries. And so this particular show was he got together with Francisco Ramos, who is the vice president of originals for Spain and Latin America for Netflix. And on April 4th of 2019, so really not that long ago, they opened Netflix's first physical European hub near Madrid. And it's, it's informally called Casa Netflix. (laughs) So he was asked, why are you so heavily investing in Spain? And Hastings said, quote, it's a very developed industry, and we hope with the investments that we are making with others, it will continue to grow. Spain had a long history of production, great talent schools, great history and companies. And so they employ a lot of people, and apparently they've already got three studios in operation and plan to expand to five. And they've got several other series in Spanish in the works including an adaption of Harlan Coben's thriller, The Innocent. And they've done a couple of different Harlan Coben thrillers on Netflix. I don't know if you've, uh, you guys have seen those. So High Seas was created by Ramon, Ramon Campos and Gina Nera. I don't know how to pronounce Spanish. Sorry, I do not know Spanish. Um, and Hastings has said he wants all of these offerings to be on par for Europe with Stranger Things for the United States. So they really are, they're going big on these kinds of ideas. Wow. I I had no idea it was part of such a concentrated push to Spanish programming. Mm -hmm. It's really, it's really interesting. There's another series that I think was made by the same people called Grand Hotel. That's also um, period lavishly done big budget um that one from what i've read sounds like it's even more kind of straight melodrama and less mystery like there's still some mm-hmm. of the, the spookiness but it's more kind of just like downton abbey style period drama but yeah i had i had no idea either until we were preparing for this episode and i first started watching the show thanks christina have either of you watched grand hotel no i haven't i haven't I have looked not, into it no. yet in part because I'm the person who actually some of the stuff I like the most about this series is the gothic craziness, right. and if that's missing, I don't know that I'm necessarily down for just pure melodrama sure. as much. But uh, um, for some reason, yeah. I was thinking the these this show shared a universe with that show. You know, you may be right about that. But now I have I haven't watched Grand Hotel either. Um, I think it's a, I, I, maybe it happens. Uh, it, it's I think it's further back in the past, like maybe turn of the century. But I could be wrong. This one's in the hmm. late 1940s, mid to late 1940s. Um, that other one might be earlier, and I should have done my homework about Grand Hotel before I mentioned it. But um, it's definitely made by the same people. Um, so to give a little bit of a sense of just kind of the sweep of the whole story, because we're going to be mentioning a lot of specific people and events, um, Michael's going to give us a brief summary of just kind of the story arc. Um, listeners, we're really sorry, but we're not going to avoid spoilers in this episode because it's almost impossible to talk about some of the best things about the series without referencing plot elements. So if you don't want spoilers, turn it off now. 
watch the first season and then come back and listen to us talk about it. So, Michael, why don't you go ahead and give us a quick summary? Yeah, I, and I would really highly recommend that if you if you're going to watch the show, you watch it before you listen because this show is so driven by reveals that if you if you have those reveals spoiled for you, I'm afraid the show might not be as fun as it otherwise would. Uh, I'm going to try to give the broad strokes. There's a lot of characters, and as Katie mentioned, there's about 45 different reversals over the course of the series. So uh, there's a lot going on. The main characters are these two heiresses, heiresses to a shoe company. They're, they're called Ava and Carolina, or Carl, they call her. And they're going to sail to Brazil, in part, I gather, so that Carl can marry... Uh, the the owner of the cruise ship, this kind of shady character named Fernando. As I do not like Fernando. Oh, well, yeah, who does, right? He so so they're they're on their way to the ship and they run over this girl who introduces herself as Luisa and tells them that she is hiding or trying to hide from an abusive husband or abusive fiance. I think I don't think they're supposedly married. It doesn't matter because that's not what's happening anyway. Uh, she ends up stowing away on the ship, and uh, very quickly they believe that she's been thrown, murdered and thrown overboard. So they're on the ship. Um, their maid and their maid's daughter, who is also their maid, uh, that's Francisca and Veronica, they're, they're both on the ship with them, and they kind of have their own stories. Veronica certainly does. Francisca is, is really more of a tertiary character. Veronica is seduced by a rich man named Sebastian and also by his uh, valet uh, named Dimas, and so she's kind of trying to decide which one of them, if either one, she wants to be with. Uh, the heiress's uncle, uh, Pedro, is on the ship, uh, he, a, a well-dressed man the way only an elderly Spaniard can be well-dressed. I love him. I told David he makes me think of like a, a very small wizard, but like with his beard trimmed and in a nice suit. Like, he has that kind of wizardly face. I love Uncle Pedro. Well, he, has the, he also has the purple glasses, which helps. Yes. I, yeah, I, th- I was so upset when I thought he was bad, and then he turned out to be good. Well, and yeah, and who knows what's going to happen in season two. True. He starts off being good, then he looks bad, then he looks good again. It's, it's right. really hard to tell. It's hard to keep up. Yeah, and so he's he's friends with the ship's doctor, who is similarly shady and not shady. Uh, oh, gosh, who am I leaving out? Um, Nicholas? Oh, yes, Nicholas. Ava very quickly gets into a relationship with the remarkably good-looking first mate of the ship uh, who's called Nicholas and he ends up being promoted to captain because the captain goes crazy uh, thinking that the ship is cursed after an albatross slams into it and dies right before the ship leaves the harbor Uh, so yeah and and then there's probably 10 or 15 other characters we haven't mentioned most notably the heiress's father whom they believe to be dead is spoiler alert not dead at all uh, but badly burned a la the Phantom (laughs) of the Opera and he, and he wears a mask like the Phantom of the Opera, too. Yeah, and so he's... Oh, yeah, we all thought Phantom of the Opera, absolutely. But so he's he's uh, he's working in the coal car, or whatever you would call the coal car of a ship, uh, and biding his time until he can confront Tio Pedro about the, the wrongs that have been done to him. This show is very silly, very, very telenovela-esque, uh, but a lot of fun. Absolutely. Thanks. No, that's a, that's a great, uh, that's a great summary. And the one other thing I would say that I guess is key to this whole thing, the other plot element that you didn't already mention is that this wedding, um, the wedding of Carolina and Fernando is supposed to be happening on the ship. Yes. Once they reach the equator for some reason. I know they want to get married as they cross the equator. I don't really get it. I don't know. I, I feel like I remember some vague line about starting a new life together as they move into a new hemisphere or something but i don't i don't remember oh i totally um, left out something essential which is that ahead. fernando's business partner is this fella Anibal, who uh who is married to fernando's sister uh and who tries to rape the lounge singer on the ship clara uh who then along with his wife murder him and try to hide the body so that's a lot of fun too and I'm I'm sure that you guys like me cheered out loud when they when uh, when poor old Anibal got it in the head. He's he's the worst. Oh yeah, nobody was sad. He's one of the he few characters. The yeah, well he he's one of the few characters who's presented as a villain in the beginning, and he just is. 
He's a villain. He just, he, you know, there's no, oh, no, he was actually good. There are no reverses with him. He's just terrible. When, when he tried like, to rape that woman, he was really being heroic because rape is one of those which, crimes that's difficult to turn oh, into, into heroism. Well, that's what I'm saying. He did rape her. That's the thing. Like, he, right, yeah, he right. did rape like, her. I mean, it doesn't it show it on the screen. No, yeah, well, that's true. But um, And, and the, the, the kind of death, his death is technically an accident. But the cover-up is not an accident. And I like that, too, because it's not a premeditated, we're going to take him down. Because, listeners, the other reason that this, the the other reason that his wife would connive in this whole cover-up over his death is that he's also an abusive husband. He's not just raping someone he's not even married to. He's also abusing his own wife. I'm going to suggest that in real life, most husbands who rape other women probably also abuse their wives. I I would probably think, yes, I would agree. Um, He's just, and he's an across-the-board assaulter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We'll put it that way. A total Um, monster. I, uh, I I kind of have to laugh at him because every time I look at him, do you guys watch the show Community? I've seen no. it a few times. So the one of the main characters of Community is this. Um, I think he's supposed to be Palestinian on the show, but he uh, there, there's an episode where he finds that he has an identical white twin, whom they call White Abed, and Anabal looks just like White Abed to me. <laughs> now I'm gonna have to look it up. Look that up. And see and and see what that's about because that sounds hilarious. Um, I, to me, he's almost he 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 has this just he's like a cartoon villain. Yeah. Like he 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 almost snarls every time he make, keeps making this face where where it just looks like he's gonna just come out of his eyes and eat you alive. And his wife is interesting too because Fernanda in the beginning of the the show Fernando's sister seems kind of sinister. Yeah. Because she's she's very arch and she's kind of um, I don't know what the word is for her. I, she just seems kind of sinister, like she's a little bit predatory. And then you find out that the life that she's living, and you're like, I mean, I kind of get it. She drinks all the time. And um, But before we talk more about um, more specific plot stuff, I did want to just quickly say, um, get into a little bit of a discussion about how we consumed this show in terms of language, because there's a lot of options. And um, I don't know if we've talked on the CFP before about anything um, film or TV wise that's um, that's in a, a different language than English um, so that's my first question is how did you guys choose to watch the series in terms of dubbed subtitles whatever well I will start because I absolutely positively cannot ever any way shape or form watch dubbed shows same I, I, just, I just cannot do it and one time I was watching a show, which I'll mention later, and I didn't know it was available in the original version. I thought it was just dubbed or nothing, and it was so dismal dubbed. And then when I turned to the original version, I was like, oh, my goodness, this is so much better. So that's definitely was the choice that I made. And actually, with this show, when I started watching it, and I can't remember what made me start watching it other than I, I saw the the title on uh, – on Netflix and it looked interesting, but I, I started watching it and it, it came with the dub preset and yeah. I, I hated it and, and, yeah. and really wanted to stop watching because the dub to me was so bad. Yeah, and then, then I realized, Oh wait, Oh, it's going to have subtitles. And so I switched to that and, and loved the show. I really, I years ago, I remember reading Roger Ebert saying that, uh, that dubbing, dubbing an actor is, a, is a really, uh, Oh, it, it's not a very charitable thing to do because it, it essentially removes the acting from the actor and puts yeah, it in it does. somebody else's hands. So I'm with Christine. I just can't watch it dubbed. Now, I speak enough Spanish to where the second time I went through this, I was going to just watch it with the Spanish language and the Spanish uh, um, captions on. But cool. Victoria wanted to watch it with me. And I, you know, oh, yeah. so, so I watched it once again with the... With the uh, English captions, not to not to brag. <laughs> I um I I watched it the first time in Spanish with English subtitles. Um, I years ago, almost fifteen years ago now, when I right when I finished college, I was basically fluent in Spanish because I, I studied it in college. I thought you but were. I'm, I thought you were good at Spanish. I, I was, and I but I'm not. In, I'm I'm very 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 out of practice. So I watched. I didn't want to try it because I didn't want to miss any nuances or anything like that. So I watched it in Spanish with English subtitles the first time. This week when I went back to review, I did listen to the to two episodes dubbed, um, in part because I thought 
if I maybe if I do the dubbed, I can listen to it and while I'm writing, you know, I don't have to be watching the screen because I've already seen it once. Sure. But you're right. right. The, the voices aren't bad in part because they're and maybe this is just my prejudice, but it, they're they're not American voices. They're British voices, which makes it automatically seem a little bit more sophisticated. Oh, no, not. that's your prejudice. Um, the, the British voices really oh, bothered me. Um, but huh. probably just because I'm used to, you know, we watch like we watch all kinds of um, like murder mystery shows and a, a lot of the stuff that has this tone and this look that, that Dave and I've watched together has all been out of British TV studios. So maybe I'm just more used to that, but, um, but you're right. You don't having watched it in Spanish first, you don't get the nuance. It's so flattened out because they have to make whatever they say fit the, the amount of time their mouth was moving. And so they just can't say as much. Um, and so it, it doesn't work as well. Um, and I would definitely say I want to go back again, like you said, Michael, and maybe try to watch it just in Spanish and see how much I understand. It's a good way to brush um, up on your Spanish, if nothing else. That's what I was thinking. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, my friend Heather, who grew up as a missionary kid, I think in Bolivia, she said to me at one point, she said, you know, what you should do is she said you should maybe watch it um like watch it in English or either watch it in English and then go back and watch it in Spanish because then you know what words you're looking to hear, which is not a terrible idea, but I still don't think I would, that would be enough to get me through watching the entire thing dubbed because as you said, it's not great. Um, but I, the only reason I asked that question is because I always wonder, you know, cause it does change the experience if you watch it one way versus another way. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, so I think, we already mentioned it a couple of times before, so let me just go ahead and say, let's start out um, on the surface, as it were. Let's talk about the visual um, appeal of this show, because to me it's one of the, the the best things about it. The design budget was obviously lavish, um, and the main thing I just wanted to, to talk for a few minutes about is, um, first, how do you feel like the creators are using the physical space and clothing and props and all that to help tell the story they're trying to tell? Well, you know, it's supposedly set in the 1940s, right, and at times it felt a little bit more like uh, almost 1920s aesthetic. I don't know if you thought, you know, it seemed to sort of not decide which one it was, but mostly it seemed to stick with the, with the 1940s. And I, I really think that's such a big trend in TV nowadays to have these kind of period pieces and to try to really uh, stick within that because it enables you to do so many interesting things and it's just a visual feast. And it, it was fun to watch because of the consistency uh, with those, especially with the costumes, uh, the, uh, the attire that they wore. I see what you mean about parts feeling a little more twenties to me, the look of the ship on the inside looked more that way, more uh, mm-hmm. kind of, 20s. it's got that kind of art deco. Yes. Yeah. Art deco. That's yes. it. That was it. And I do wonder if that might not be an intentional choice, right? So this is something, this is supposed to be taking place just very shortly after World War II. So I don't know if they're trying to suggest that Fernando Shipping Company, the people who built the boat, were giving it intentionally that more Art Deco look to try to evoke a pre-war time period that was maybe felt more lavish, less privation, less shortages. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, But but that may be reading too much into it. Um, and, and like you said, I think the clothes are, are exactly the period. I like what they do with the clothes too, because they, they are showing a lot of stuff in the characters based on the things that they wear. So your main two sisters that Michael mentioned, Carolina and Eva, um, Carolina is super feminine. She's mm-hmm. almost always has a, a, a dress on. She wears pink a lot. Um, listeners, when you see this girl, she looks like a Barbie doll a little bit. I mean, she's got long blonde mm-hmm. hair, um, Eva is characterized or she's written as a more kind of um, outgoing, extroverted, uh, kind of bold, boyish person almost more. She wears pants pants all the time. But she's also a writer. And she's a writer. Yes. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. We need to talk about that, too, a little bit later. She so she she's styled very differently. But still, still feminine. But she, yeah, she has wide leg pants all the time on. Or and her yeah. her dresses are a little more restrained, fewer frills. You know, um, which part of that could be? You know, Carolina is she's the fiance of the man who owns the ship they're on. So maybe she feels like she needs to you know look like a model all the time. Um, Michael, what about you? Anything? Did you have a favorite detail or anything about the visual stuff that you liked or that you noticed? 
I don't have a great vocabulary for talking about any of this stuff, but the the inside of the ship I thought was just beautifully, beautifully designed. It, it certainly I haven't been on a cruise. This was nicer than the cruise I went on, um, and, and it actually made me <laughs> want to go back out, go back out on the water, which I uh, I didn't think I wanted to do, but only if I could do it in a in a ship as tastefully appointed. Well, the first place. class, especially it, the first class cabins sure. were huge. Sure. Sure. Yeah, well, I mean, bigger than any first-class cabin in any real ship, I think. Yes. My favorite My favorite thing is the girls' uh, cabin catches on fire, and they just get reassigned to another equally large cabin. Oh, this, yes. This ship just is just full of these... Yeah, it's a, it's a cabin as large as, as any apartment I've ever lived in. Yeah, exactly. And they just happen to have another one. None of the other incredibly rich people on the ship want it, right? But that's okay. I mean, because because even with all the even with all the terrible stuff happening, this is a wish fulfillment show, right? You you watch this it and you say, totally is. "I wish I could hang out with these rich people yep. and drink their fancy drinks yep. and uh, wear their fancy clothes." Absolutely, um, and I think we need to have a, a short conversation about lipstick. Yes, <laughs> oh I'm going to be quiet during this conversation. Oh my goodness. <laughs> The lipstick on uh, Carolina, it, it at times it just seemed like it filled up the whole screen. Oh my goodness! <laughs> it was its own character. It, it, it is was. a bit. Well, and I'm glad you said that because I forgot about that. There's a moment in uh, at the very beginning of the first episode when they all leave, and Veronica, the the maid's daughter who also serves the family, she's I guess probably should leave with them, but she told them there's something else they need to do. She makes an excuse to stay behind in their cabin. And what she does is she, she filches or she doesn't, I mean, she doesn't take it away with her, but she puts on the lipstick. She mm-hmm. puts on some of the lipstick yeah. and she hadn't been wearing any lipstick before. She's like trying on a fancier life, you know, via mm-hmm. the, via the yeah. lipstick. Um, well, and one, one nice design detail with her, I thought was that she only has the one dress, which of course she would, I'm sure only have one or two dresses, yes. but most of the time in shows like this, even the poor people have an improbable number of costume changes. That's true. She is a, I, I don't remember her ever wearing anything but that blue dress and the uh, the white socks. The white socks, socks yes. Which At the were end, an interesting choice. Yeah, I think it's meant to make her look younger, perhaps. Then. Yeah. Although that that makes it more disturbing when she finally does sleep with Sebastian. Well, the first thing he does when he meets her yeah. is he pulls up her socks for her. He reaches down and pulls oh, her out right. and Ooh. she makes yeah. a face like. That was a liberty that you just took. Um, she does wear one. She, I mean, she wears a different dress at the very end of the first season. They're at the Carolina and Fernando's wedding, and she has on a, a, a pretty dress. Now, I don't know where that dress came from. Maybe it's her one nice dress. We don't know if she bought yeah, it. Or did he buy it for her? It. I don't but I don't. I don't know that he, he bought oh, it for her. You mean that weasel Sebastian? Sebastian's the worst. Oh, he is he, awful. Like he's he when you first when they first introduce him he seems fun like you might want to hang out with him like you might you know be kind of fun to have as a friend but you would never trust him with anything important. No, but and he, they've obviously... he is the sort of man who seduces multiple women by introducing them to Madame Bovary. Yes, I know he's like he's just so skeevy. The story of a nonconformist. Skeevy, woman. skeevy, skeevy. Um, and <laughs> I, I love I actually really love the character of Demas, who's his his man. I like Demas too. I really like him and and um his uh, oh I know what I was gonna say Sebastian's clothes are interesting too they they say things about him too because you know Fernando yes. he he has on just kind of black and white suits the whole time for the most part Nicholas is in his uniform the whole time but Sebastian has like kind of colorful clothes he's a little bit garish um, he has like interesting pocket squares and things and um mm-hmm. so you can kind of you know and his hair he's got that like kind of freeform hairstyle happening um you can kind of look at the people and so, to some degree and go okay I know. I kind of know what you're going to be about. Yeah. Uh, total caricature of the, you know, which is great. It's fun. It makes it very easy and fun to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it allows the, the show to surprise you a little bit more because the characters, they surprise you in terms of what they've done, but they don't surprise you in terms of who they are. Pretty much everyone is who you thought they were, even if they were on the opposite side of the good evil fence than you hmm. thought. That's a great. We, except, except for maybe Mario, the girl's father, just because he's, you know, they they set him up to be some sort of monster, and well, again, I guess even that goes back and forth, doesn't it? Well, and two or three different times, you know, mm. like, um, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it, it's really interesting, you know, the way that they kind of seesaw, like, you know, with various characters to the point where they're, you know, the only people who come across as unequivocally good, really, are Carolina and Eva. Yep. Yeah, because even Nicholas, who's who's 
pretty great. There's there's a time when she has doubts about him because she like finds a picture of him with a woman or something like she she has doubts about his truthfulness about his romantic life. She doesn't think he's a terrible person or something like that. He's evil. But, mm-hmm. you know, so really, it's just the sisters who kind of, you know, and they're but I mean, they're kind of the core um, of the story. And I want to let's talk about genre for just a second, because this the other reason I love this TV series is because if someone had said to me, hey, so um, I'm going to write a gothic mystery, but I think I'm going to put it on a cruise ship. I would have thought that person was a little bit crazy. Um, just in terms of thinking of genre, genre kind of conventions, particularly with setting, that sounds a little bit crazy, but it, I think it really works. So what are some ways that they're accomplishing that gothic feel on an ocean liner? Well, for- First of all, I thought when I was watching it, I was like, this is like Emily Bronte, you know, decided to write a telenovela and set it on a ship. I was just trying to <laughs> right? you know, try to place it. Uh, and it doesn't quite place completely, uh, which was lovely and, you know, uh, um, in that disturbing kind of way. And so I don't even know if the word gothic is right, but I know what you mean by that. There are all these like fam of the opera type elements to it. There's the doctor, the doctor giving the poison to Carolina and then she's going to die if you don't do what I want and get this out of the safe stuff. <laughs> that was just brutal. Yes. You know, that was so it has that. And then it has the super serious stuff that you don't get in the Gothic, or at least if it's in the Gothic, it's more veiled, meaning like the rape of the, um, the singer, you know, that was right out there. So that was more modern, you know, than most Gothic mysteries are in, in that way. If that makes any sense. Uh, so it, it was a strange mix of stuff. And I also well, felt like I was in the middle of a clue game too. Yes. It's got that. It's definitely got that Agatha Christie, <laughs> Agatha Christie clue, you know, that feel drawing that, room mystery. Yes. Yes. And, and the ship contains it, right? So you know that somebody on board this ship, murdered somebody and at first you thought it was the the woman i can't remember her name but then you realize no that wasn't she had just dressed somebody else in her clothes and threw them overboard you know and it's like that that almost like then it would come down to none you know what's the name of that agatha christie and then there were none right it almost felt like that at first like they were just going to kill off everybody on the ship like i had no (laughs) idea what was going to happen next i really didn't it was well, I, I think that's one place Americans are helped because other than the main actress, who, Ivana Bakara, is that her name? Ivana Baccaro? Yeah. Yeah, nobody even, I, I suspect nobody watching this in the United States has heard of any of these people. So we don't know who the big names are. So we don't know who's safe by their contract. Oh, true. Do you know what I mean? True. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I wonder what what you think of the yeah what you think of the Nazi subplot because because what what comes out is that the the company has been selling shoes and people to the Nazis and I, I wonder if yes. that if if there is a, a a kind of national socialist Gothic uh, vibe in the middle of the 20th century and are other works that use the Nazis as their stand-in for evil monks or whatever else uh, whatever else is supposed to be in the Gothic. That's actually, yeah. I mean, that's a really good point. I, and I didn't even think about that. The stuff that I was picking up that to me felt, felt very gothic were a couple of things. One, the, the idea of, um, isolation, right? So it's not an isolated castle or manor house or in search or creepy place, but they're, because they're crossing the ocean, they're completely isolated. You guys are talking about, you know, you, it, it, everything's contained by the ship, the storm, they take off and then there's this huge storm that's, that's mm-hmm. raging outside. That feels very Gothic to me. And a lot of it was honestly to do with, um, just the endless, um, the kind of labyrinthine nature of a ship. And endless mm-hmm. corridors. And in the first episode, Carolina is walking down the corridor and she keeps looking back because she thinks that she hears someone behind her. And that it just made mm-hmm. me think of the Castle of Otranto. And is there, what was her name? I, Isabella. She's like fleeing down these these kind of hallways in the catacombs being chased by something evil. Right. Um, that mm-hmm. that was kind of that was what tripped that that switch for me. And I thought this feels very gothic. And then you get to 
creepy dad down stoking in the coals and the fires. And there's that like that whole fiery, smoky kind of hellish scene happening down there. And he's got a mask covering half of his face. And, you know, so it, it kind of it felt that way. And, and you're right. Some things are much more modern in particular. Um, that whole kind of rape victim subplot that that is way more mm-hmm. out front than um, one would normally expect in the Gothic. And I think that um, it'll be interesting to see what happens in season two, because based on the trailer, season two looks straight up even more supernatural Gothic with like, they're like, they bring these survivors. You see these survivors in the very last episode of season one, you see these survivors in a tiny boat and they're going to pick them up because their boat's supposed to have sunk their larger boat. They're like in a lifeboat and they have a mysterious box with a mysterious symbol stamped on top of it. And mm-hmm. in the trailer for season two, they bring these people on board and one of them's like a medium and they're having seances and there's an actual ghost apparently roaming the ship and it gets awesome. way more over the top. And oh, good Lord. I know. No, <laughs> I'm so excited. Um, but I'm thinking That's, it might end up being... It's kind of uh, postmodern too, isn't it? Like all mixture of these things. It's fun. I yeah. know. It is. It's a huge big mishmash. But I'm wondering if it's going to be straight gothic or if it's going to end up being kind of an Ad- Anne Radcliffe style gothic where it's not really real. None of it's really real. And it's like a oh. fake out, like Scooby-Doo oh, style. Because yeah, um, yeah. so, thus far, there's been nothing about the series that, that, that we've been led to believe is actually supernatural. I mean, the captain thinks that there's a curse because an albatross hits the window, but that right, could happen legitimately, yeah. you yeah. know. Um, well, and then, you know, the father hauls off and bites the guy's face at the end. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> Yes, he turns like straight. Up. I'd forgotten about that, and when I was rewatching it last night, he goes for Uncle Pedro, and I'm like, "Run! <laughs> Don't let him destroy your beautiful that? face." Just oh, his man. face. I was like, well, "What is this? The Walking Dead?" And I and I was just floored. I just wasn't expecting that at all. It's like every time you think that you've got a handle on the ridiculous kind of yeah. tenor of the show, something even crazier happens. And and that's one reason I love it, because just in the first episode, it feels like it might be more of a straight kind of Agatha Christie scenario where you have the, you know, the body thrown off the boat and appears to be one person, but really it's another. But then it just mm-hmm. keeps getting more and more. They keep adding more and more and more layers of crazy. And I think the funniest thing about the show might be that the business that, that has been exploited, their family business that ended up being exploited by their dad for Nazi money was a shoe company. Yeah. Of all mm-hmm. things. Because then it was the mm-hmm. truck that they were using to transport people, but that was kind of funny. Um, that, that yeah, me, like, I'm not sure how you can actually sell people, but it, that's it not about, kind of the way that... I think it was the transportation, not the people, maybe. Like, I think that maybe they were receiving Nazi gold for, to use their trucks to transport people oh, instead of... I think oh, that that Breaking was... Breaking Bad? No, I haven't. Oh. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's a plot point in Breaking Bad. Oh, they transport right. all sorts of all yeah, sorts yeah. of things in yes. in fast food trucks. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's true. This is just a side note, but there was one point where that that big suitcase full of gold—they're just slinging it around like there was nothing in it. <laughs> Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> not at the end, not the last episode, but one of the earlier ones. I'm like, that thing is full of gold. You have, you couldn't even lift that. And not not just gold, Nazi gold with heavy plot weight. Yeah. <laughs> they keep referring to it as the ingots in English, like the in ingots. the English dubbers, like you have the ingots. I'm like, as some... as uh, English speakers frequently do. Right. Um, well, let's talk for. I, I I made a big to do at the beginning of the episode about female relationships. So let's talk for a few minutes about the story. Obviously, kind of centers around Eva, the younger sister, is kind of the viewpoint character, the character you follow around the most. And uh, even though her character does have this romantic storyline, to me, the story pays as much or more attention to the relationships between the women on the ship. So um, what I wanted to, to ask about that is just what did you what what does the show seem to be saying or what kinds of messages are coming across in the show about relationships between women? Or did you have a favorite kind of pairing of women? Because a lot of times in the show, the women kind of come in pairs um, or anything, anything on that that you guys felt like you wanted to say. There's a scene early on, and it may even be in the first episode, where Ava and Carolina return to their room, and Ava just starts tickling her. And I wondered if that felt real to you guys, not being a woman. I I, I don't know that I don't know that I'm qualified to judge on whether that is something silly or something that actually lends weight to their relationship. 
I don't even remember that. I, Do- you know, Michael, I'd forgotten about that till you said it. Um, it it felt weird to me. I mean, I have a sister, and I'm really close with her, and that's not something I think that we've never had that particular kind of like silly kind of relationship as grown ups. But I kind of felt like that moment is maybe meant to try, try to drive home the point that she's the little sister. Wait, mm-hmm. which one? Does she t- start tickling Carolina? I think Ava starts uh, tickling Carolina. I don't know yeah. if it's I don't know if that's an attempt to remind us that she's the younger sister. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was kind of strange. Now that you say that, I, I've forgotten about that moment because it's the only moment like that in a That's very right. serious show. That's right, and and it's it's clear that their relationship is being strained a bit by Carlina's wedding, especially to this man whom Ava really clearly does not approve of, even before she starts suspecting that he's involved in this death. Um, mm-hmm. she 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 clearly just doesn't like him. There, there's some um, there's some. Uh, reference made to the fact that she has er- earlier accused him of being a gambling addict, mm-hmm. uh, and and he proved that he wasn't. Although if I rec- I didn't finish the season the second time I went through, am I right that he actually did in fact turn out to have been a gambling addict? Yeah, I think he I think he makes a clean breast of it to Carolina that he had okay. a gambling debt, and I think that that the way it's made out is that he's not gambling anymore, but he still had debt from when he was. Right. Mm-hmm. So Ava, she's so Ava, forgiving. Yes. Yeah. Super forgiving. Um, yeah, and Ava is too, to some extent. Like she wants to move past it, but can't. Um, both because she feels like her sister is getting into something bad, and also because things legitimately just keep getting worse with this guy. Yeah, and which and makes yeah. it even crazier that by the end of the first season, he seems like one of the better dudes in yeah. the show. Oh, this totally. is the, this is the guy weird. who threw his wedding rings over the side of the boat in yes. the second episode. Yes. So weird. Oh, my goodness. Um, what about you, Christina? <laughs> well, when it comes to relationships between the women, I, I liked the plot twist of the solidarity between Aribal's wife, who's been abused, and the singer who gets raped by Aribal, and they end up having to work together. Absolutely. to hide the body and it was kind of funny they're like they thought it would be convincing to kind of throw him down the stairs it's like come on you'd be better off if you weighed him down and threw him overboard but i just i liked that they were kind of put together and that they it had a kind of a me too kind of feel to it like we're on the same side here and uh i you know i they didn't have to go that route and they just decided to have that to be a whole plot in the in the series. And I, I kind of liked that. The, the less interesting thing they could have done is that Natalia finds out that Annabelle raped Clara and then hates her for it. Right. Right. Yes. But instead mm-hmm. they had them work together. Um, yes. Yeah. I, I mean, partly, partly the other plot, the one they didn't do would have been much more of a downer than the one we actually got them, them solidarity killing him makes it's what a horrible thing to say it makes the show more fun than that that other plot would have been so yeah well, they, in terms of in terms of a plot it was the right thing to do true obviously. but i mean they don't murder him i mean that you know he's attacking her and she slugs him over the head right it's, so it's not murder it's like it's second degree murder it, well and well, one of the best things about that though is that she right when when she, when that happens he's not trying to rape clara again she she follows them out of the of the main room because she sees him grab his wife yes. and she's afraid for her. Yes. Right. She's doing it to defend mm-hmm. her. Yes. Yep. Yeah. She's trying to help Natalia, yeah. which is really interesting. And, you know, um, th- they're interesting as a pair to me too, because they're so different. Like the very different Natalia has, I mean, she, she, st- she terrifies me a little bit. Like, yes. The, 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 what she does with her eyes and that like um after after it's over we haven't even mentioned the like the uh, police inspector who's on board the ship um who oh, walks around gosh. looking like some kind of noir detective and like cutting his eyes yeah at like everybody. the Maltese Falcon trying yes. to do yeah. <laughs> so start, tedious he starts to suspect them and so they have a conversation about you know the the singer Clara is like I think he knows what are we gonna do and Tully is like you know, kind of is a little bit savage, but is, you know, is basically says he's got no proof. Like you need, you know, you need mm-hmm. to calm down. And I think it's interesting too, how involved 
Clara's boyfriend, I think it's her boyfriend, maybe fiance, becomes in, involved in that same cover-up. Because, like, Michael, That's you right. said the easier story. The easier story would have been he finds out she got raped and he casts her aside. That's true. But instead, he is, you know, he feels terrible. He feels like it's his fault because he didn't protect her or whatever. Anyway, he then joins in their cover-up with them because um, he's an and her boyfriend boy. is the second mate is that right yes and he's i think he's supposed to technically be in charge of the investigation into annie ball's murder which makes it even more fun um but yeah he's like the second mate on board he's friends with with nicholas who as you mentioned earlier michael is impossibly handsome oh uh, just like, like i i think he's gorgeous you know <laughs> um he's 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 a really he's kind of an interesting character he kind of ends up to me being the straight man a lot in all of this like he doesn't you know his his plot twist is not outrageous it's actually kind of sweet and and sad and um but uh i think probably i i really appreciate the relationship between eva and carolina um not necessarily because i have a sister but because of ways that again it's slightly surprising so you know ava's characterized as you know, the more bold sister. Um, and I mean, and they hit you over the head with it. In the first episode, when they apparently run over Louisa, the lady in the street, and she's asking for help, Carolina is immediately suspicious and says, I don't think this is a great idea. And uh, Ava says, if we don't stand up for other women, who will? She's like, you know, very. Um, yes, I, yes. And, I and like so, that. yeah, and it's, it's really cool, but she just comes right out and says it, right? You know, like she's very, um, I don't know what the word is, forthright. Um, and they kind of set you up to think that Carolina is going to be kind of a wilting flower or that she's, yes, and, she, and she's you know, not, and she's not yeah. like, she's probably my favorite character in the whole thing because you think she's just going to be a Barbie doll. You, you think that she's going to yeah, be the foil yeah. from her younger sister and she's just going to be naive or whatever. But the thing that happens with Carolina is that she keeps getting hit with worse and worse and worse and worse pieces of news. And she keeps standing <laughs> like she just keeps, yeah, you know, and please, Katie, talk about the final episode. Oh, my gosh. My my favorite my favorite thing in the entire series, the first the entire first season is at the end. You know, they find out their dad's not dead. She's so happy that her dad's alive and he's going to get to be at her wedding. He's going to walk her down the aisle. It's very sweet. And then her sister finds out that, wait a second, our dad was the one who was taking gold from the Nazis to transport people to concentration camps. And she tells Carolina. And the next scene is everybody at the wedding wondering why Carolina's late and the door slams <laughs> open, which, by the way, I never saw that door shut until that episode. Every other yeah. scene you see that main saloon, those doors are open. Nice. But it's probably because she's the usually they do that with brides, right? They swing the door open. Um, she slams open the door and she come and Carolina comes in. She's dragging this heavy suitcase of Nazi gold and she's actually treating it like it's heavy in her wedding dress. Her mascara is all over her <laughs> right. face and she's just screaming like, tell us the truth. Like, you know, and she's just, <laughs> I so mean, and, at her own wedding because she's so angry that their dad has, you know, has perpetrated this evil. Um, the other thing I, that I think is interesting about her is throughout the whole, the whole time, she, one of the, th- the things that she's most upset with her dad about before they find out that it was his Nazi gold, when they still think he's a good guy who was just done wrong, she's still frustrated with him because that he never told her the truth because she was in the business That's with right. him. She was right. the older sister. That's she right. was supposed to take over the business and he never told her. She's like, why don't you tell me the truth? This yeah. is my responsibility. You know, um, yeah, so I, she's like, we're grown up. We're grown up now is what she says. And yeah, you should have yeah. told us. And Absolutely. that made me respect her a whole lot more. Yeah, because she, she's not just a she's not just a pretty face. Right. So they kind of, you know, she's kind of set up to be a pretty face. And but yeah, that last scene is my favorite. That one and the one immediately after. So they have this huge emotional scene at the wedding. She comes in screaming and they take their dad into custody or whatever. And then the next scene, there's just this super sharp cut to a room. Fernando's like leaning against the table with his hand across his face. Um, Ava has a drink. Natalia is smoking. And Carolina's there on the sofa, laid over, and she's just going. <laughs> it's like the aftermath. Like everybody's just like done, <laughs> and and Carolina's still sobbing. Like she can't stop crying, you know. Um, and it's and it's so for whatever reason it's so funny. I laugh every yeah. time because they're actually Tell showing the you the aftermath. It, they don't end on a high note with that scene. They show you the next scene when yeah. she's in the emotional aftermath of her histrionics. Um, right. And then she gets married with the mascara still in her. Yes. And I thought, my goodness, that's something. I know. <laughs> I just I just love I love her. She's so I mean, and we, we should have said before, listeners, we've talked about Ava a lot. And Michael mentioned her being the only person you might have seen. So Ivana Baccaro, who plays Ava, was the little girl in Pan's Labyrinth. 
which I've never oh, seen. I, never I don't think it's scary. I saw it. Yeah. Um, but the, the little small girl in Pan's Labyrinth, grown up, is Ava. On, That's uh, interesting. On, um, and I, th- I remember, and I, I looked her up because the first time I watched it, I thought, she looks familiar, but not as she is now. Like, there's something about her face that's familiar to me, but I can't figure out what it is. Then I realized later, well, it's because she's about 10 years older and she was a child the last time that I saw her, mm-hmm. you know, be in a movie. Um, she's well, good in this. I mean, I think, but I, I think almost everybody is. Yeah, the way that it's acted is over the top because that's the nature of I think of the genre or the type of show. But I think everybody does a good job. There's nobody in this in this show that I don't find convincing, in in, in being who they are. Um, one thing I was gonna say earlier that I just remembered when we were talking about the wedding happening in the main kind of saloon or the main the main chamber. One thing that they do visually that's visually interesting in that that I like is they have these two big staircases coming down into the middle of the room, as as you often see on a, a cruise ship. But um, they they do a lot of interesting things vertically with that. There's always people standing down on the floor looking up at people on the balcony. Mm-hmm. People coming down the stairs into the room, kind of looking at other people across the room. So there's like a surveillance aspect there, um, and that I think is is interesting. Um, um, okay. So, um, I think let's do maybe like two more questions. Um, one, uh, one, the, the last question that I had is that I thought that there were some kind of interesting explorations of class in the show. And we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier. Um, so was there anything about kind of class conflict or class mobility that you guys picked up on the show that you thought was intriguing? Yeah. I mean, the, the big one is Veronica who, has a fight early on with her mother where she says that she doesn't want to do this for the rest of her life. She wants a life of her own. She doesn't want to spend the rest of her life following Ava and Carolina around and serving them. And I think she must see Sebastian as a way out of that. Uh, and maybe what's interesting about that is Dimas also sees Sebastian as a way out of his own uh, servanthood because he has this idea that I can't quite follow that involves turning sugarcane into oil. Is that, am I, mm-hmm. it's something yeah, it's to do fuel. with. It's like ethanol. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so he's he, going to make a million dollars off that, but he needs. Yeah, but it's going to be stolen by Sebastian. Right. So, so both of these people are, are putting their hopes for getting out of poverty in the hands of this rich man who profits from both of them remaining in poverty. Right. Cause mm-hmm. if Veronica's not poor, uh, Sebastian's charms are not going to be quite as uh, compelling. Yes, mm-hmm. say. correct. So that that's interesting. He's he's predatory, and he's not predatory the way Anna Ball is predatory, but he's predatory nevertheless. He's not the sort of not the sort of man you'd like to see your sister dating. Mm-mm. No, definitely, yeah. definitely not. Christina, did you have something you were going to say? No, I just I'm just. It would just make me angry that he's going to steal his plans. You just you see that coming, and I do think that's interesting too because it kind of shows that he's kind of an equal opportunity jerk. Yeah, like so he's not he's take, he, he he seems to be kind of taking advantage of Veronica, but he also is is taking advantage of his own manservant. Though it's interesting to me that that he kind of seems to to give Dimas the brush off a little bit about that till he he Sebastian finds out that his money's basically gone. Uh-huh. And he gets desperate. Yes. And then He's he thinks, yeah. I need this idea. The other thing I think that's interesting about that whole thing is that um, when, uh, so they kind of play a trick on uh, Veronica's mom, Francisca, because she, you know, she's hanging out with a Sebastian or whatever. And so she, I think she asks him, she asks Demas to basically to, to, to say that she's hanging out with Demas. And so Francisca, when she thinks yes. that when she thinks that Veronica is spending time, romantic time with Dimas, who is of the same class, she's fine with it. Even when Veronica mm-hmm. spends the whole night away, presumably like in his cabin yes. with him or whatever, like she doesn't really care. And that's interesting because on the one side you might think, wouldn't she want her daughter to 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 move on up, right, by spending time with a rich man, unless Francisca knows Sebastian. <laughs> That could be part of it. It might not be yeah. that he's a rich man. It might be that he's Sebastian. But I thought that was interesting, too. She she seems to want uh, Veronica to to find a, a good relationship within her own class. And I, I thought that was kind of interesting. They have several conversations about that. And she um, later on, Veronica thanks Dimas for helping her with that subterfuge because it enabled her to spend time with the rich man. <laughs> right, Dimas. I know. Poor Dimas. I agree. You know, he loses I mean, his best friend. 
Which one was his best friend? I can't even remember. Well, the one the one who got um, blamed for the murder. And yes. Then, quote unquote, hanged himself in his cell. Right. Oh, man, I forgot about that, Michael. Now I'm sad. That, that's Actually, the the one little bit of religion you get on the show is uh, Ava says he couldn't he wouldn't have done this because he reads the Bible. Oh right. <laughs> oh yeah, they find his Bible. Yeah, and they they yeah. have doubts that he commit suicide. Um, I one one kind of side character who only shows up a couple times who I really like who hangs out down in the the kind of common area is that safe cracker guy. Two at least twice, Ava needs something oh, yeah. out of a safe, and there's this random like the safe cracker guy. Like Demas, yeah. like I know a guy, and, I know a guy. <laughs> and there's a guy who can crack safes on the ship because of course there is. Of course. Um, well, the last question we'll do, and then we'll move on to passing on, is uh, Christina. You had a question that you wanted to pose, so why don't you go ahead and hit us with that question, and we'll kind of all answer it. Yeah, I mean, the whole show is overdone, but I thought that there were some things that were clearly overdone and something underdone. And so I just wanted to give you guys a chance to reflect a little bit on what you wish you saw more of and what you wish you saw less of. Do you want to lead off on that? To give oh, us sure. A second I'll lead off. Yeah, I um, I thought the fact that Eva or Eva, however you pronounce her name, is a writer was was not developed at all and could have been really interesting. And it, yeah. it became important at certain points. Like she finds out certain things about this, about her father because of a manuscript that she had given him and ends up in that case or whatever. But just the fact of her being a writer, I thought was going to be a big part of the show and it ended up being pretty small. And so I just thought that instead of having so many plots, what what I feel is overdone is that there's just so many plots. I mean, it's part of the fun, but I just wanted to see different ideas developed uh, rather than than so many uh, ideas developed. So I don't know. That's just a personal preference, I think. I I don't know if this is answering your question or a, a related question. But I worry that with all the reversals about how you feel about the characters, yeah. this, sh- this yeah. show's going to go off the rails in season two. Yeah, as if it, if it's not already off the rails, right? What, what's but off so, the rails? So, so, well, so far it's still fun to watch, but at a certain okay. point, at a certain point, you get invested in characters, and they get you get jerked back and forth about whether they're good or bad, and you stop caring. That's a good and, point. And I worry that's going to happen. You know, but I don't know. I haven't watched season two, and it seems like they're introducing some new characters. Uh, so, so it may be that they're able to keep up this pace. I cannot imagine the show is going to be good for four seasons. But I, it's hard to imagine. I mean, if you jump the shark repeatedly or jump the albatross, at what point? Do you, <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I, I agree, Michael. I and I, I always wonder if that maybe is why you know the at least the trailer for season two is so heavy on kind of supernatural weirdness that's been brought on board by these characters who were nowhere in the first season. But, you know, cause like mm-hmm. you said, you can only do that so many times, you know, yeah, I mean, so and, going a totally different route. Yeah. Yeah. And they're still kind of in the middle of the ocean too. So, I mean, yeah, is is second season. I'm assuming it's all still on the ship, but you know, at some point, I mean, who knows in season three and four, are they going to actually ever make it and be in Brazil? <laughs> like what's going to happen when they get there? Um, <laughs> Yeah, because uh, they never really I don't know if they say why they're going to Brazil. I don't know if if Fernando's going to make his business headquarters there. I'm not I'm not actually sure why they're going to Brazil. They never really say they just say that they're going there and they're going to have I mean, a, nobody's going to blame anybody Brazil. for leaving Spain in the late 1940s. Right. Well, right. yeah, that, I mean, that's that's a given for sure. Um, as far as things that were, you know, underdone or overdone, I, I agree with you about her, that writing angle with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and. I feel like that probably something that could have been, I don't know. I, I, to be honest, even though it has all the interesting nuances we talked about, I could have used a little less Veronica Sebastian stuff, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. That went back and forth too many times. That story, that story could have been very well conveyed in half the time and still had the impact. I feel like, um, I I was a little tired, and part of it is because she, to me, is they could have made her more interesting. She's not as interesting as she could be as a person. Right. We don't know anything That's about her past. That's the telenovela part, right? Isn't it like this kind of trumped up romance stuff? Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, yeah. and I mean, she could have been a lot more interesting. Um, yes. but you know, so I mean, that was something I felt like that I could have done without. Um. And yeah, so that's a really good question though, because you're right. When in a in a in a scenario where so much is 
over the top. Soon as it's hard to, unless you really have a think about it, hard to to think what were the minor notes, what were things that could have been raised up a little bit um, mm-hmm. to make it to make it better. Um, I well, let's go ahead and move on because we don't want to take too long. Let's move on to our passing on tonight, like we always do, and recommend a few things at the end. So, Michael, what are you recommending tonight? I'm going to recommend another Netflix series called Most Beautiful Thing. And this is a series set in the 1950s in Brazil, and it's about the development of Bossa Nova. It's another kind of soap opera type show. It's not, there's no murder mystery, at least I've only watched the first episode. I guess there is somebody who is killed. Uh, Anyway, it does not have the same tone as this, but it's another Netflix production set in mid-century Latin America. Uh, and it's pretty good. I will say uh, Altamar has a TVMA rating that I don't think it deserves. I think TV14 would be probably too high for Altamar. It's a, it's a, it's a pretty clean I show. I agree with that. I think yeah, it's kind of weird. Mo- Most Beautiful Thing earns its MA rating. There's some nudity and sex in it. So if, our, if your listeners are sensitive to things like that, I, I want to make sure they're, they're aware that it's in that show before they go watch it. But it is, a, it is another beautifully shot show like this one is and if you love bossa nova music as you ought to because it's wonderful uh that's a that's a show yes. worth checking out awesome that sounds great christina how about you that's that is bossa nova that's great um i am also recommending another netflix series that is completely different from high seas but is uh, in a native, it's actually filmed in Israel, and it's Hebrew and Arabic, and it's so good, it's called Fauda, F-A-U-D-A, and the show, it's gritty, it's about real kind of Israeli-Palestinian stuff, but I mean, it's fictionalized, but because the writer was himself an Israeli secret agent or uh, intelligence officer, uh, and is the main actor in the show. It's just so interesting. And it's done two seasons, and my husband and I are just chomping at the bit because we just heard that a third season is coming out, or it's already been shown in Israel, and they're about to show it in the U.S. It is so good. And Is it an that, action series, Christina? Um, action-ish. Yeah, you know, yes. It's like um, kind of, yeah, a spy kind of show, like a um, Jack Reacher or something, you know, a spy thriller it's a uh it, it's kind of like terrorist you know you ever see homeland yeah it's kind of like that like there's uh there's a main um palestinian uh terrorist who the israelis are trying to deal with and they have to handle delicate relations between israel and palestine you know and it, it just brings all that stuff in there and the landscape that's actually israel you know and and you can see see dilapidated warehouses and you know i mean it's it's really incredible it's just hard to describe but it's so good uh and and the action is believable and and interesting and everything that you might expect in such a deeply war-torn you know conflict uh it's not as it's not as a documentary as i'm making it sound it's not a documentary it's definitely fiction and it's definitely fun and the guy is a great actor who happened to also be the writer of the show and knows his stuff. So it's hard for me to recommend it highly enough. And that's where I said I I didn't understand I had options and I just started watching and dubbed and I was like, this is horrible. It's horrible <laughs> dubbed. And you turn off the dubbing and you hear the acting and, and they're speaking Hebrew and Arabic. When was the last time you watched a show where they're speaking Hebrew and Arabic? No, that that sounds incredible. Um I'm also recommending a TV show tonight, but not on Netflix. So I'm a, a slight, slightly different. Um, and the show that I'm recommending is super different from High Seas. I'm going to recommend The Expanse, which is a sci-fi show. I've seen The Expanse, yes. I love The Expanse. I, I figured you probably had, Christina, um, based on the kinds of things you like. So uh, The Expanse was a show that was on sci-fi for three seasons and then got canceled and fans got super, super upset and um, started a campaign to save it, at which point Amazon Prime picked it up. And Amazon Prime uh, has produced the fourth season, which drops, I believe, December 19th. So it is upcoming. So, you know, if you're a really, really intense, good binger, you could maybe get through the first three seasons before the fourth <laughs> one comes out, <laughs> December 19th. Um, 
it the expanse is a show that was a new kind of thing for me because i have not watched a lot of that type of sci-fi um it's based on the books the expanse books um which were written uh by james a james s a Corey, and i haven't read the books but i've heard they're really good um i haven't read them either um but Basically, space has been colonized in the future, and um, there's Earth, and there's Mars, and there's the belt, um, the asteroid belt, where um, there are various colonies on various asteroids. Um, And it's another interesting thing to me, because like, actually not unlike Altamar, you kind of, at least the first time I watched it, I had an idea of what I thought I was going to see. I thought it was going to be about, you know, kind of um, gritty inter, uh, you know, kind of inter-colony relations in space, which it is. But also the first season kind of feels like a noir kind of detective story. But also there are extraterrestrial things happening. There's just a lot. There's a lot of different threads happening in this show um, that make it really interesting to me. Um, As a person who hasn't actually watched a ton of sci-fi up to this point, um, it also has some really interesting, strong female characters in it. Um, And... I will say, I'll give a warning, like Michael was, was talking about things being TVMA. The Expanse is rough with regards to language and can be gory, though not as much in a fighting sense as in a, they like to show the reality of what happens in zero gravity environments to bodies. Um, if something's going really fast, for example, and it stops suddenly. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you're a person who doesn't love blood, you know, and, and, and I think the first, the first episode I don't love because I think they go just really to 11 in the first episode with, um, with both that aspect. And the first episode is one of the only episodes in the entire first three seasons where you really see nudity on that show. There's very little nudity yeah. on that show. Um, but the very yeah. first episode has some. And it's a lot of shows a, do that now. They, they, they load up the first episode with nudity. HBO lives yeah. there. It's it's weird because I watched that first episode and I thought, all right, this is how it's going to be. And then after that, you do, I didn't see another person without complete clothes on for like almost a season, maybe season and a half. So, you know, listeners, if you if you check this out, maybe at least watch the first two episodes before you decide, because the first episode is a little different. Um, but that's my that's my recommendation for tonight is The Expanse, um, a great a great sci fi series that is going to have a new season coming soon. So, um all right. Well, I think that that is it for tonight. Um, listeners, thank you so much for listening to the Christian Feminist Podcast. And you know that we always love to hear from you. So if you have topic reading recommendations for future shows, which we do listen to, by the way, we have at least one show coming up in the spring that was a listener request. Um, so if you want to ask for something like that, or if you want to just drop us a line, interact with us, you can do that at Christian Feminist Podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out to us on our Facebook page. For show notes for this and other episodes, check out ChristianHumanist.org. The Christian Feminist Podcast is a member of the Christian Humanist Podcast Network. Kristen Philippic is our publishing liaison. Uh, tune in in one week for Complementarianish number three, and you can tune in in January uh, for our first CFP episode of the new year, which is going to be on the Hebrew midwives of Exodus 1. Until then, in essentials unity and non-essentials liberty and in all things love. <laughs>